welcome back everybody to for real our podcast it's about documentary i'm matt i'm special k so how you doing buddy how's so this is our this is our episode after our week off during the thanksgiving holiday k how's your how's your holiday man uh, it was great it was fantastic it was nice to you know take a little break and uh a little time off of work see the family you know we kept it small but uh it was nice it was nice how about you good uh, my Thanksgiving was great. I uh, helped contribute to my winter coat, which I've been, uh, which I call my belly. I've been, <laughs> I've been building on that for quite a while. Uh, the doctors say I'm dangerously warm at this point, <laughs> and uh, should maybe think about a spring type jacket versus <laughs> the heavy, heavy woolen one I'm currently sporting. Yeah, so, it's that time of year, man. Hey, listen, I'm outside all day. I want to be. I want to be warm. That means. You know, my cholesterol, my, my blood pressure is, you know, like that of a 75 year old. Hey, that's, that's the uh, risk you have to take to stay yeah. comfortable. You know, when a couple of years ago, when I was real svelte, that's one thing I definitely noticed. Like it was a noticeable difference with how cold I got. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I've always been a big guy. So for me, it was always like, people like, Oh yeah, I got extra insulation. It's like, I don't know. It's so fucking cold for me. But when I was like real thin, I was like, holy fuck, it is crazy cold. It's like Arctic tundra cold. Well, I think, what was it, like two or three years ago that you were you were two super skinny? Yeah, two years ago, yeah. Well, I, I remember about two years ago, we had like a Arctic front move through our state. And I know it was 50 below for a couple of days straight on that one. And uh, I, remember, I remember that was the worst. So that makes sense that you were pretty cold during that time frame because – I was outside and I was just unhappy. Yeah, miserable. Uh, Absolutely miserable. All right, guys. Well, today our documentary that we're going to be speaking on is one. Listen, when me, so I sent a bunch of options to Kay. Kay sent some back and we, we settled on a documentary. All right. This was during Thanksgiving week because even though we're not doing the podcast, we have to talk about the podcast. Yeah. So you know, we, we're all we're all in agreement on what we're gonna watch. And suddenly, Kay says, "Hey, you know, it's gonna be a be a fun one to watch later." Tread. And when I read about this, I got so excited <laughs> because when this happened, I read every literally everything I could get my hands on as far as what had happened during this. Uh-huh. And I and I said, "Listen, Kay, we have to do this next week," and he agrees. And the hardest part for me was that. I wanted to watch it so bad, but I also wanted it to be fresh in my memory for the podcast. So all last week, I, I, every night I was like, man, I want to watch tread. <laughs> like, I don't think I've been this excited to watch a documentary. Yeah, uh, it was, uh, it was cool. Do you, so you do remember when this happened, like in the news, like in the real Oh world? yeah. Oh yeah. It was, it was insanity. Uh, so let me get re- just, I'm going to, I'm going to pull up the synopsis real quick. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I'll, I'll, I'll kind of we'll kind of go into it. The synopsis is pushed to his breaking point. A master welder quietly fortifies a bulldozer and systematically destroys numerous businesses and homes in the small town of Granby, Colorado. Yep. So I remember when this happened. And uh, to me, for some reason, like what I loved about it was that this guy went spectacularly crazy, right? This wasn't, <laughs> this wasn't like a, this wasn't like a quiet breaking point. 
this wasn't like your standard like guy loses his, his stuff and you know you know guy finds out his his wife is sleeping with somebody else and he goes crazy and murders them both mm-hmm. it's it's not like somebody loses at work starts fire to the building this guy went spectacularly crazy this wasn't this is just it was so outlandish and unbelievable mm-hmm. that when the first time I read something about it, I was like, there's no fucking way this is real. This is, there's no way this is, this is real life right now. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a pretty incredible story. I vaguely remember um, hearing about this when I had this happened in 2004. So this is a while ago now. I vaguely remember hearing about it, but like the documentary at the, at the very end kind of points out that the next, the very next day, Ronald Reagan died. So that's kind of why it got shuffled to the back of the, the news pile. But, um yeah it's, it's an incredible story and uh documentary really lays it out i mean it was listen uh, i in this documentary sp- spoiler alert was fantastic all right <laughs> this was a fantastic documentary i was so happy watching it and i'm so happy to tell you about it today all right like <laughs> all this right, let's, get, let's get into it so tread the the main character of that story the uh, operator of what some people have referred to as kill dozer was Marvin Hemeyer. All right. So the way the story goes, Marvin Hemeyer was, was in the air force. He was stationed in Colorado. Now this is actually the start of the story is kind of funny to me because I know a bunch of guys that got stationed out in Colorado. And as soon as they got out of the military, they just stayed like, I don't know what it is about what it is about Colorado but they people, say it's, they say it's beautiful there. I mean, I, I've got family I, that live out there. I've never been, but um, people love it out there, man. I mean, what's not to love snow, uh, pass, hard mountains, pass. mountains. That's, that's cool. Yeah. But in like hunting and whatever else you're into, I guess I don't particularly, I don't partake in uh, the manly sport of, of hunting. It just doesn't seem fair with them not shooting back, but <laughs> Gets out of the Air Force, stays in Colorado. He's extremely handy. He just started his own muffler company. During the during this interview, there's a lot of people that kind of they keep kind of keep interrupting the main story by they bring up a bunch of people. And at the beginning, they're just everybody's talking about how great Mr. Hemeyer was, how he was very helpful, how he installed all these bumpers on. He was very passionate about snow, uh, about snowmobiling. Have you have you ever been snowmobiling before? No, no, I've not. You no, know, I haven't either. And like this documentary shows, like this guy was obsessed with it. Like it was yeah. like his one true love in life. And I, I've never been. I guess it seems cool, but it also seems fucking terrible because you're yeah. cold and wet. I'd imagine and it seems extremely dangerous to me. But I just I never I never understood this shit. It's such like a weird. You know, I've done I've done four wheeling, mm-hmm. uh, dirt bikes. I've, I've done all that. You know, but... dirt bikes, go karting, and that's all like a lot of fun. But I feel like in, introducing snow and wetness and any of that just and cold. I mean, you're freezing and cold, cold. Yeah, I, I that kind of ruins it for me. Uh-huh. But I have been accused of being a gigantic sissy on more than a few occasions. So. They go through and then like, you know, there's like six or eight people that talk about how great Mr. Hemeyer was, how he was very friendly, how he was taking, he'd take people under his wing that needed help with stuff. And 
it's it's one of those things where it starts off everybody talking about how great he is. After he starts some muffler company, there's an auction in town for a bunch of land that are is foreclosed on. Mister Hemeyer goes to that because he's decided that he needs a a spot for his muffler company. So he makes a bid on a uh, three thousand square foot building and land and about two acres of land around the thing for his company. Now, when he was auctioning on this, he had a competitor for that site, and his name was Cody Dochev. And he, Cody Dochev was was be, was there with his friend Ron Thompson, who was financing what he was doing. Well, I guess what, we should clarify real quick. This this is a this is according to Marv, oh yeah, the, this is all from Marv. Yeah, has actually provided like recordings of his story. So this documentary is based around. So this is all Marv yeah. telling you exactly what happened from you know his side of things. As the creator of Killdozer, Marv not only spectacularly went crazy, he fucking recorded multiple tapes of himself going crazy. Mm-hmm. All right, he he this guy made a manifesto essentially on what ha- what pushed him to the brink. So this this initial part of the story is all from Marv's point of view, and I should have said that. So I guess Cody Dochef and uh, Ron Thompson put in for $35,000. Marv goes ahead, goes up and he says, I'll, I'll do it for 40. Well, Cody Dochef and Ron Thompson weren't willing to go that high. So, you know, Marv won. So I guess from Marv's point, from what Marv says, immediately following the, the auction, Cody Dochef came up to him and just, Cursed him up a blue streak, you know, yelled at him for 10 minutes, basically told him what piece of shit he was for buying it out from under him, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, it seems like from what Marv was saying, Cody Dochef suffered from some serious little man syndrome and kind of, I mean, throughout the whole thing, just really re- reminded me of like Yosemite Sam from, uh, from Looney Tunes. Like, did you get that impression? Like, he seemed uh, re- really fast moving. And well, he was really tiny and just kind of angry. I mean, if you if you went by how Marv portrayed things, yeah. Later on, they talk about how nice of a guy he was. He was an immigrant to this country. Came over here with nothing. Um, so, yeah, Marv's Marv's depiction of him is definitely as like this a little animated character, yeah. Wild West character. But I, I guess and we're going to talk about it. But I guess it all depends on who you believe, whose side yeah. of this you believe. So. Mr. Hemeyer, he buys he buys the land and he turns the building into his, his muffler company. And so what an important part of this is that Ron Thompson, the guy that that, that Marv says was financing the whole thing, or that Ron was financing Cody Dochef, he was on the board for, sewer, for the sewer district. Mm-hmm. And apparently the sewer district, they wanted Marv to be annexed into the water and sanitation district which would have forced Marv to install a piping system that could have cost upwards of $80,000 mm-hmm. because at the time they had on, on the land, they had their own little sewer system hooked up, which was essentially just, you know, your standard, like pissing in a bucket is what it sounded like. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what it sounded like. <laughs> I think they said they had an empty cement mixer that everything got, got so, so, sounds hygienic. Yeah. Super gross. Well, Marv, being a completely agreeable person in most aspects from what it sounds like marv refused he said eight thousand dollars or it's between sixteen and eighty thousand dollars marv said that's ridiculous i got my own thing set up 
I'm not doing it. You, you can't mm-hmm. make me. I'm, I refuse to do it. So apparently the Thompson family, who Ron was a part of, they, they kind of go into them. They're very old money in the area. There's the old man that started the company. He was apparently bought up a bunch of land when he first, when the Thompsons first got in the area, they bought up a whole bunch of land and it ended up being kind of came down to Ron, his father and his two brothers. It was Ron, Larry and Gary were the three brothers. And these guys, I'm going to be honest with you, when, uh, when they showed a picture of all three of them together, I was like, these guys look like the, the three stooges. I was just like, going to say exactly the three stooges. Yeah, they 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 had strong, just dopey ass vibes in my my opinion. But they had yeah they had they had some like as somebody that's grown up in a farmer community, I can tell you that they gave off the impression of being of of like to me it seemed like that they were used to being big fish in a small pond, mm-hmm. and even though they weren't particularly bright. Or maybe even say maybe they hadn't earned the right to all that money that they had. Uh, they seemed like they were really full of themselves. Well, hey, they at the end, everybody's talking about how great people they were. And the Thompson boys, they were the hardest working millionaires you'd ever meet. Yeah, that's and that's something that everybody said. Marv obviously disagreed. So we haven't, we haven't got to the positive aspects of them yet. All right. This is this is all through Marv's perspective. We're, we're, we're leading the story from Marv's point of view. So Marv said, screw it. I'm not doing the damn sewage thing. You can't make me. He kept running his business anyway. And he said he was making good money. He was making really good money, steady customers. He was just happy as could be, had no inkling, at, no, you know, no desire at all to build a giant metal monstrosity and wreck the town. So in 1998, the town spot, they spot zone the two acres of land that were directly adjacent to Marv's mufflers. Now, what do you know what spot zone means? I don't. Well, it's so because Cody wanted to put in a, a concrete plant. So basically, the city said they said, okay, we'll take these two plots of land and we're going to zone them differently than what the rest of the property is around his zone, so that he can do the concrete plant. So oh, okay. It's like Marv keeps saying, it's like it's the good old boys or looking after the good old boys. So basically, they are allowing him a zoning that they wouldn't allow for that area typically. Yes. So Cody buys the two acres and. And Marv says, no, you, you, know, you can't build a, a concrete factory there. So he goes to the town council. And I guess this is just an ongoing battle for months on end. Yeah, he and fucking it, sues and goes to court. I mean, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So Mar- Marv, I mean, Marv was like, hey, listen. And it wasn't just that from Marv's perspective, one of the things that was going to bother him was that uh, there's going to be dust all over everything. And this was in a residential area. There's houses right there. It wasn't just that there's going to be dust and everything. There's going to be a high noise and the fact there's going to be a high traffic in the area. It wasn't just that. Marv also brought up the fact that there could be some serious issues with how it affects the water supply. And he brought up a bunch of other stuff. And from what the people in the area were saying, Marv was kind of like their champion as far as protecting them from this concrete factory going up. Uh-huh. Well, and one of the, and one of the, board members who were interviewed who was on marv's you know bad side but he says like you know marv did bring up a lot of good points yeah in his opposition and he probably caused us to give this a a more in-depth look than we would have otherwise then I mean, they still they still spoiled it they still approved it 
but they said that it was with stipulations that Cody had to agree to that made the situation a better. So ultimately they said like, because of Marv's kind of stubbornness, it did make it a better situation all the way around, but they just thought his kind of his motivations and stuff were misplaced and misguided or whatever, but yeah. So anyway, as Kay said, end of the story, basically the, the concrete factory went through and Marv, uh, he tried suing, he, he caught a lawyer, he tried fighting at higher levels, and all of them were basically like, Marv, you're shit out of luck. Sorry, but the concrete factory is going in. And Marv actually got pulled into court where the judge told him, hey, like, you need to be part of the sewage plan, like, per the, the city council and all this other stuff, you, you are not up to code and they were going to charge him a hundred dollars a day uh-huh. until he got his shit together and, and joined up with this, this paid for the piping and everything else. Now, Marv, and this is where it's kind of, kind of, uh, Marv said that, you know, it's good old boy system. And the only way to do that would be to completely run the property because you can't cut across other people's property with the blind and blah, blah, blah. And it's just going to cause a huge, financial burden on him well and his big contention was in order to the most direct route is he would he's going to have to run it through cody's properties and yes. he claimed that cody would not give him an easement which is what it would, would allow him to do it on his property yes he said cody refused so basically what they did what he accused this town of doing is basically boxing him in to where his business essentially financially couldn't couldn't keep operating because he couldn't afford to or maybe he could afford it, but just didn't want to spend the money on having yeah. to become compliant. So he just would rather pay the fines, I guess. <laughs> Marv eventually ends up selling his business, essentially. He keeps the land or he keeps the building, basically, but he sells out his own, he sells out his business, all the stuff associated with his month pro shop. He did at this point also buy a uh, gigantic, uh, I forget what the, was it a skid loader? It wasn't a skid loader. It's a bulldozer. It was a, bu- it was a bulldozer. Okay. So now we skip to kind of the second part. And this is the side of the, t- this is the other side of this story. All right. And so, like I said, Cody Dochef, he is the, he is the, the Joker to Marv's Batman in, in Marv's perspective. Mm-hmm. Now at this point, everybody, there's a lot of people that talk about how great the Docha family was. We talked about how Cody was like a, a great asset to the community. How, yeah, he was, and people said, Cody's got a quick temper. He, he tends to calm down after a while, but he's, you know, he's a fiery little guy. He, he loses his temper sometimes. But you, you know what phrase they use that I think that people, anytime, this is what I've noticed in life, my life experience. Anytime somebody describes somebody as saying, he tells it like it is, which is how he described yeah. Cody. They're a fucking yeah. asshole. They're yeah, an absolute yeah. fucking asshole. Anybody yeah. who everybody says, hey, he's a straight street, tells it like it is. No, he's just a piece of shit who doesn't filter his language and just says whatever yeah. comes to his top of his stupid head. Every person, every person, if, they, if somebody ever tells you, I'm going to tell you like it is, they're an asshole. 100%. 100%. Yeah. And that, 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 is, that is an accurate fact. I also found when they said, oh, he's a fiery little guy. Fiery little guy means he's verbally abusive. And he says whatever the hell he wants and he gets away with it because he's got money. Right. That's the way I looked at it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, like I said, a lot of people talked about how great he was for the community. They talked about how his buddy and the Thompsons were the best millionaires you ever met. They're the hardest working millionaires you've mm-hmm. ever met. 
Uh, they don't hire people. They go out and do stuff for themselves. You know, they're older guys, but they go out there and they work harder than anybody else. And, you know, the, the most hard work, I personally, I don't understand the whole hardest working millionaires thing. I'm going to tell you right now, if I was a millionaire, I would not be working hard. There'd well, that's be, what they're saying. Like they, you know, they do everything themselves. They, yeah. they don't hire people, which if you're a fucking millionaire in a business, like one, one of the pluses is that you provide jobs to the community, selfish fucks. But so they, <laughs> so they, yeah, their whole thing is like, we do everything ourselves. We move our equipment around ourselves. We don't hire people to do things for us. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that's how people become uber rich is by being, you know, um, thrifty, but at the same time, it's like suddenly, really I don't know, it's kind of a weird brag. Kind of give back to the community a little bit, guys. Yeah, it's kind of a weird, kind of a weird flex, but okay. Yeah. So now when this whole thing started, it was 1992, mind uh-huh. you. So at this point, it's 2002. Uh, Marv had gone out to California and he bought a bulldozer. Uh-huh. Uh, he, he put it out. He, this is before he sold his business. I'm sorry. I kind of jumped ahead there. So he puts out his business outside of his business with a huge for sale sign on it. Apparently he got a great deal on the bulldozer. Uh-huh. I don't know why, if you didn't have any use for it, why you drive all the way to California from Colorado to buy a bulldozer and then just immediately put it up for sale. But that's what Marv did. He knew, he knew what he was going to, he knew what he was doing. Yeah. So I th- uh, well, I think at that point he already knew he already had, he had some perspective, mental perspective, well, on because, what was eventually going to go down. Well, so because because prior to this, when he lost the, the legal battles, he I think his friend who they interviewed in the documentary said he had like spent one hundred fifty thousand dollars on like lawyer fees and court fees and that kind of stuff, fighting all you know, fighting to keep his business open and fighting to get the concrete plant shut down or not come in or whatever. So he felt you know defeated and humiliated at that point, and that's when he tells a story about how he was sitting alone in his hot tub drinking. God told him that he was going to, God told him how to make them deal with it, that they were going to make them deal with it. He was going to make all these people deal with um, what they'd done to him. And uh, God, God bestowed this, this on him. So I think he had this, I think he had a plan. I, you know, I, I remember that point and I was just going through my notes when you were saying that I was like, I, I feel like I, sh- I had to have written that down. Cause I was like a huge point to the story is where Marv, it's obvious Marv has finally fucking really snapped, like yep. gloriously lost his mind. Uh-huh. And apparently I did not write that in the notes. So <laughs> I'm glad you're here because yeah, I, I missed that part. I mean, listen, all, all of life's greatest plans come to you when you're drunk in a hot tub alone. Right. So yeah. you And you know, that guy was skinny dipping. I'm yeah, just that's, saying that's, that's when you're most connected to God, when you're in your birthday suit, drunk off your ass in a hot tub in the mountains, of Colorado. I mean, you're literally, Physically, spiritually, emotionally, as close to God as you could possibly get. Yeah. So of course, the clearest transmission of His plan is going to come down to you at that moment. Yeah, you, you're you're as naked and open to to input as you're ever going to be. Exactly. So, at this point, Marcel has tool all his tools and his business and everything related to the muffler shop. He he keeps the dozer. And uh, I put I put in the notes. Marv is obviously unhinged at this point. So Marv brings the dozer into the building that is still in the property. When he sold his property, uh, part of it was that like somebody you know bought the 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 business, and he said, "Hey, you don't have to pay this amount of money," and it is basically back pay for renting out the the building that he was staying in. Yeah. So, I mean, he took this as, this is like, 
again, he, like you say, he kind of loses it here. So when he closed the muffler shop, he auctioned every, everything. And the only two things that didn't sell, he didn't even get a single, uh, a single bid put in on the actual physical property itself and on the bulldozer, which he yeah. took both of those things to mean it was a sign from God that yeah. the, the only, everything, everything, everything else sold. These two things are the only two things that didn't even get a single bid. So he has that trash company come in and he offers, I think they rented from him first, but then he ended up selling the property to them. Yeah. And then like you say, he puts the bulldozer in the building and the bulldozer is gigantic and it fits it's, in the building by like inches. So and he, and he takes it, that as another sign from God that it's meant to be. So the, the bulldozer was something like 11 feet, 11 inches across and his doors were, were 12 feet across. Uh-huh. So he basically scraped this thing in with half an inch on either side of the bulldozer, which I got to give Marv credit at this point. I would have ended up ripping off half the fucking wall trying to put that thing in there with that much space, well, but he got it in there. But, and this, luck getting it out, but yeah, well, that's because, you know, at this point, it's God's, it's God's plan. God gave him that extra inch. All right. So if only he'd give me an extra inch. Oh, oh, my, I might need to, I mean, I might need a few. I might need a few. So Marv spends all of two. So Marv moves into that building. Uh-huh. All right. He is, he has gone full hermit, full, like the world's out to get me. He spends all of 2003 living in that building working on the dozer and and then in 2004 his dad dies and at this point marv starts giving away all of his stuff Mm -hmm. he's giving away money he's giving away snowmobiles he which i put in big parentheses i put in parentheses in all caps red flag if you know somebody that starts giving away everything they own and everything they care about in the world that person's about to kill themselves all Uh right that's 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 all there is to it. Like yeah, that's, that's it's usually a classic red flag indication that somebody's going to kill themselves when they start yeah. parting with things, especially the things they love. Like the guy was yeah, like, like snowmobiles. With snowmobiling. And he starts giving away his snowmobiles and giving away all of his money and everything else. Like these are all gigantic red flags, people. All right. Well, I think, I think he had given his money because he sold everything he owned pretty much except yeah. for this fucking bulldozer. And well, he, gives it and all, then- he, he gives it all to his father and then when his father dies, it all gets passed down to his siblings, like his, you know, Marv's brothers and whatever, and sister or whatever. They all get it. So that way Marv has none of it, but it's all like gone. So, you know, he has nothing to his name. And, and, and the way that, that they set that up basically was that in this way, his siblings got his, the money from his estate essentially. And it's one person removed. Uh-huh. So at that point, Mar- like it's impossible to get the money back from them. Right. Okay. Like as so, if you were to become, you know, civilly liable for a lot of money or something, they can't like they can't come back it, for it. Like just for example, if you went crazy and and knocked down half the town in a, in a tank bulldozer that you created in your shop, you're like, yeah, people are gonna want money for that for some reason. I don't know why, but uh, also at this point, so all these tapes, like I said, this is a manifesto of Marv losing his fucking mind, uh-huh. and at this point, the tape. Marv spends a lot of time talking about how all of this was God's plan uh-huh. that God put him on earth for this, this purpose. Mm-hmm. And God built him up to make him strong, to stand up against people. Mm-hmm. All right. This also in my notes, got a parentheses and a all caps red flag put onto it 
All right. Because all of these things are indicators that somebody's losing their fucking mind. All right. There's a fine line between, between religion and belief where you're, you know, you, you go through life and, you know, everything's part of God's plan. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, 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 you know, there's, that's fine. That's, if that's your belief, that's, I have, I have no objections to that. I don't particularly believe that, but I have no objection to that. But when you start getting to the point where you're like, God created me for this specific purpose, and you're also living alone in a, in a, in a, basically a bunker, like you're, you're getting, you're getting off some crazy vibes. All right. Well, I mean, look, the guy, well, I guess we'll talk about it more towards the end, but I, I believe, I mean, in my, again, I'm not a doctor, not an expert. In my personal opinion, I think the guy was suffering some kind of mental illness. What he's exhibiting, and what I, what I know, what I, I know I it's, no, what I know it's called this, he's exhibiting what's called magical thinking. Okay. It's where you start seeing patterns or start seeing indications in the real world of things that, that solidify what you believe to be true or what you believe to be correct. So like the, he takes everything as a sign. He's one of these people that everything becomes yeah. a sign and every, but the thing is when you're looking for that stuff, like, yeah, everything that's, that's um, confirming your belief or confirming your bias, you're going to find those things. Cause that's, what's you know, telling you you're on the right path. It's like the fact that the bulldozer on the property doesn't sell. That's a sign. The fact that the bulldozer barely fits in the building. That's a sign. He goes so far as to the reason why he wasn't married and never had kids is because that's a sign. Cause God wanted him to be prepared to be able to do what he had to do. At one point, the, the, the winter before this all goes down, he thought that God was you know, who had commissioned this project that he's on this, this crusade. Yeah. God's, God the, God's gave, the foreman. God gave him the winter off so he can go snowmobiling. So he took the winter off to go snowmobiling. And he took that as a sign from God. It's like, no, dude, you just wanted to go fucking snowmobiling because it was winter time. And you found a, a way to justify that as part of your little, you know, God sent me to do this thing. And like, like, like I said, there's a, there's a fine line to me between like putting your belief in a higher power power and assuming that higher power is, is, is propelling you towards a violent clash with destiny. All right. It's, it's, that's, I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of people who subscribe to that line of thinking that they're, that they're, that they're the hand of God. Right. I mean, how many times you hear that shit? Yeah. And those, those people, and always do something fucking nuts. All right. <laughs> like those people, they're always going to do something crazy yeah. and they're going to be like, like go on, it's, like go on self-guided tours of the U S Capitol. Building. Yeah. Or yeah. Or, you know, I don't know, uh, go to some riots and, you know, shoot a bunch of people. It's, <laughs> it's all, it's like, listen, guys, these are all red flags. All right. I, let me just say as somebody that does not subscribe to a religion, I support your, I support everybody's decision to be a part of religion, to put your faith or your belief in anything that you, you know, you want to subscribe to. That's great. That's, that's your personal choice. Uh, I don't, but you know, I, I'm okay with that. When your personal beliefs or religion are propelling you towards violence to people around you or communities or specific subsections of humanity 
uh at that point fuck you that's you you've 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 gone off the rails a little bit here that's that's when i stopped supporting your your choice of religion so one thing this documentary does very clearly is it shows that like we said we get to hear from marv directly from these vit from these tapes i love which is great because you get to hear like his actual thoughts on everything his motivations and how he planned things and oh another thing i forgot to mention that i'm talking about these tapes he talks about how at one point because he was renting that building when his building's his bulldozer when the uh, the owner of the property had had an insurance adjuster come and look at the property or whatever to like insure the property and they saw the bulldozer and he said he he was tickled that he made up some bullshit story about it being like a refrigeration unit thing or something it was it some was, specialty engine thing that somebody else had built yeah, where yeah. it automatically cools itself and the guy's yeah, like oh okay cool and the guy just walked past it he took that as a sign he's like that was such an obvious lie I didn't even try hard to lie to the guy. The guy just took it and walked away. Like he should have been caught. In fact, he even said at times while he was doing this plan, like he was hoping that he'd get caught and somebody would stop him. But the fact that he never got stopped and it was never caught, he took that as again, further sign that he was doing the right thing. And God had, God was blessing him in this endeavor. You know, I'm going I'm to tell you exactly what went through that insurance adjuster's mind when he walked past and he saw that he went, Oh, that's interesting. And then Marv made up some bullshit story. And the insurance adjuster went, well, it doesn't affect the insurance in the place. I don't give a fuck. And yeah, just kept walking. Uh, he doesn't care. Of, they're not part of the building who gives a shit, right? Yeah, it's not 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 my problem. I make $30,000 a year. I don't need to fucking do it. Yeah. If you're not building cannons that you're going to shoot holes in this building with, I don't care. Yeah. Well, maybe you should have paid a little more attention to it, though, huh? Yeah, yeah. Listen, insurance <laughs> adjusters in the future, if you see a, a tank-like vehicle in somebody's garage, hey, maybe, uh, maybe just let somebody know. I don't know. <laughs> Put up a sign. I don't care. <laughs> so, and this, okay, this leads up to this point. June 4th, 2004, all caps in my notes, Killdozer Awakens. <laughs> all right. Marv, at this point, so what happened? Marv bought a bunch of steel plating and he attached steel plates together with concrete in the middle. Uh-huh. And then he had, he, Attached it to his vehicle with all all this welding activity and and all this other stuff, which made this thing bulletproof, like hardcore bulletproof. I I think at one point in the the documentary, they said the thing weighed 85 tons. Yeah, 85 tons. All right. I I was impressed that the thing could still move. Yeah, that's all that weight. I mean, and that's some I listen, I'll talk about I'll talk about how he tested this thing later on in the story and this okay so this is the part my favorite part of the story all right and it's only great because i know everybody got a huge fucking insurance payout for this thing that happened and that nobody died (laughs) uh so marv he doesn't he doesn't try to scoot that get use that extra inch that god gave him when he was taking the 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 killdozer out he just drives it straight through his fucking wall of this building. Mm-hmm. All right. Which puts him right there next to Cody's concrete company, Cody Dochef, mm-hmm. his joker. So what is, uh, what does Marv do? He just starts knocking the fucking company down. He's yep. driving around knocking over buildings. Cody sees this and he grabs this big loader, this big skid loader mm-hmm. And he tries to not like, okay, so this, this is the part where I really got excited because you're taking heavy construction equipment versus like heavy construction equipment and trying, they're fighting each other. Mm -hmm. All right. And this was, 
this is like the little kid in me was like, this is amazing. Uh, well, Cody's non-armored loader did not fare too well against it. He actually, mm-hmm. Cody ended up knocking himself unconscious mm-hmm. when he hit the side of it. He was trying to hit the tracks. He was trying to flip it over, which lifted his entire back end of his vehicle up. And yep. when it dropped, he swung forward and smashed his head on the windshield, knocking himself unconscious. At this point, everybody's calling 911 because, you know, Marv's on a fucking rampage, just knocking down buildings like the wrath of God that he thought he was. <laughs> and so the police arrived. And in the side of this, of the killdozer, there were tiny vents. Looked like you could see through, you could breathe through. And the police were trying to fire bullets through that. Now we find out later that the ends of these little vents in the side, these, these tiny holes, they had some, what do they have at the end? They had something on there that basically made them bulletproof. It was three inches of bulletproof, like plastic, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So you couldn't even see out those. So what, 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 ended up, what, what it was is that Marv had attached five cameras around the killdozer, yep. which were hooked up to the inside. So he could see screens of everywhere he was going. Like yep. it, it, Mar- Marv went ham on this place. So Police, police are trying to shoot Killdozer. It's not working. Killdozer don't give a fuck. All right. So Marv knocks down the whole concrete company. And that's at this point, the police were behind him shooting at him. And it turns out that Marv had installed a 50 caliber sniper rifle, a Barrett sniper rifle mm-hmm. that the barrel hung out of a small hole, like so small you couldn't get another bullet or something in there. And Marv was firing 50 caliber rounds out of there, which made me a little less excited because I'm like, come on, Marv, like none of these, no weapon that the police are going to be able to bring against you is going to actually cause problems for your vehicle. Uh, Yeah. I mean, so some of the armor, like they said, or I read somewhere after I was looking at this more, but I think they said that some of the armor was like a foot thick. So, so this made me a little, little less you know, excited about Marv's side. Cause I was like, you know, you're being a dick. You're firing 50 caliber sniper rifle rounds at these cops who are just trying to do their own, you know, trying to do their job. Now as, as, and Marv leads, the, like after Marv levels the entire fucking place, people running all over pandemonium killdozer is, is just running rampant. Marv leaves. And on his way out, he complete, he hits a police vehicle flips it over and then drives over it mm-hmm. with complete disdain for the fact that it was even in front of Killdozer at any point, which also made me excited. <laughs> uh, so Mar starts driving down the highway cops get on, manage to get on top of Killdozer and they're trying to, they're trying, they're looking for like some place that he can get in at, get in or out at. He can't find anything. He drops a couple. This cop tries to drop a couple of flashbangs down the exhaust. Did absolutely nothing. He's trying to fire in the holes, trying to do everything. Yeah. yeah what this essentially what they discovered is that Marv had pretty much welded himself into this this thing. Yeah. Like, I think they yeah. said later they believe that he like lowered the final piece like down on top, so like there was no way to get in or out of this thing. Like it was like sealed yeah. up. Yeah. Like Marv. Listen, Marv was a craftsman. Let's give him, let's give him credit here. He built this fucking thing to be bulletproof and yeah, to was... do it, do his thing with it, and he did it. Yeah. All right. I, I so 
cop ends up jumping down because at this point people are getting real fired up about Killdozer. So uh, Marv drives to the town council building slash library and levels it. He then goes to the newspaper building where apparently he had a grudge against one of the reporters who said Mm -hmm. that he was going to, you know, write him a, write something about his business and never did. Mm -hmm. And Marv was upset about this. So Marv levels the newspaper building. Mm -hmm. Now this is my favorite. This is probably my favorite part of the story because these cops are just at this point, they've even stopped shooting at it for the most part because they're like, it's not doing any good. Now at this point, somebody pulls up next to one of the cops and he says, Hey officer, I got something for you and hands him a 50 caliber sniper rifle. Mm-hmm. So you know that somebody in town owned a 50 caliber sniper rifle, which you would never use for hunting because anything you hit with it, it's just going to be a greasy stain against the wall. Yeah. For, so this, for, for, for the listeners that don't know, a 50 caliber rifle is, uh, it is a crazy huge. large, it's, I mean, it's huge. like, it's, it's, there's no practical purpose to have one of these things. It, it, I think like an anti-aircraft gun. Like there's no reason to have one. I, I saw a 50 caliber machine gun get fired while I was in the military. I was standing probably 50 to 60 feet away from it. And every time a bullet went off, I could feel the re- the percussion in my chest. Mm-hmm. It felt like somebody was tapping me on the chest. It was so heavy, but yes, yeah, so this cop, you know, anyways, this, this old, the citizen that had the gun, you know, he was excited. He's been waiting his whole life for the moment where this 50 caliber sniper rifle, which undoubtedly costed way too much money was going to come in use for him. Mm-hmm. So he brings it to this cop and he's, you know, like, like a proud Papa hands off the gun to this cop. The cop fires multiple 50 caliber 50 caliber rounds against killdozer and kill guess what guys killdozer don't give a fuck all right no and absolutely no effect no penetration whatsoever killdozer don't care uh <laughs> uh marv then drives to a house that's owned by the thompsons that's that 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 richer rich family mm-hmm. which apparently thompson's mother lived at elderly very elderly mother <laughs> very elderly mother and they called her and they're like ma you got to get out of there it's coming so they get they get her out of there and marv comes along and fucking levels the place obviously mm-hmm. uh he then drives to this gas company and he's using his barrett 50 caliber sniper rifle which is hanging out the back of it and he's firing a parent said he's firing incinerary rounds yeah at these gas propane tanks, but thank God all the rubble on top of his, cause he's trying to make them explode. Obviously. Mm-hmm. Thank God all the debris had basically blocked his, his sniper rifle. So every time he was firing, it was just ricocheting around like basically off Killdozer. So thank, thank goodness for that. At that point, Killdozer had a slight fail. Um, at this point, they bring in more construction equipment to try to fight Killdozer. And guys, Killdozer don't give a fuck. All right. He knocked over one and he's just traveling around. They try to block him off with the second one. Killdozer takes that one down too. Just, just like nothing. It's like a heavyweight champ fighting a fly. Killdozer has such graphic disdain for these, for anything that they put in front of him. It is amazing. It's just so fucking heavy. Like it's, it's so heavy. You're, you're talking. So- I, I can't believe it was able to move the yeah. way it did because it was they, incredibly heavy. 
they said that, that the treads were screaming yeah. that from dragging this thing around. But uh, so then <laughs> there was a store in town and I don't remember what Marv's particular issue was with the owners. It was Gamble's appliances. The, the guy, the owner was one of the guys on the, um, Oh, the on water, the town council. Yeah. The yeah. water commission. Yeah. Yeah. He had, so, so listen, so Marv had a had, list, Marv had a list of targets and, by the time you know, this is a bulldozer, so it's very it's a heavy bulldozer, it's very slow. By the time that he's like moving around town, the cops have already like found this list. And so they're like calling people ahead of time, like, hey, you're on his list, get the fuck out of there. <laughs> Run. Like, and they said that the cops had evacuated a good portion of the town around uh-huh. ahead of which, you know, you thank thank goodness, like you said, killdozer was so slow because it gave people plenty of time. So the town council building was on top of a library. All yeah, right. But, but, they, but they made a, a big deal. So like in the document, they make a big deal that the fact that there was like a kid's program going on at the time, but then I don't know if you caught it on the documentary, but they, they, the, the librarian said that right when they had already returned all the kids home, like they'd taken all the kids home is when oh, he, yeah. he struck the, so they made a big deal. Like it was like this impending, like, Oh my God, they just barely made it out. When reality, the kids are like, we're already home by the time he got to the fucking building. Yeah, like I said, at this point, th- this thing's moving so slowly that he's all he's doing is wrecking people's property. He's hurt nobody. He's killed nobody. I mean, he has shot at the cops. He shot. The, he shot <laughs> he at has, the cops. He didn't try to ram the cops, and he didn't shoot at them. But he didn't hit anybody. Yeah. Nobody's been hurt. Yeah. So no, nobody's been hurt. He he has been a bit of a dick, but he hasn't he hasn't killed anybody. Um. So anyway, uh, Ro- or Marv goes to the store, obviously. And just levels the fucking place. At this point, the cops say they can see that antifreeze is spraying from Killdozer. They finally injured this giant beast, this 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 mythical dragon that has destroyed their town. Godzilla has got a thorn in his foot, and he's moving a little slower. Now, another thing that happens as the antifreeze starts spraying out. Uh, Marv didn't know that the store had a basement. All right. So when Marv drove through the store, the floor gave out and Killdozer collapsed into the building and could not move. It was stuck there. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, it's truly a, a moment where the weight of Killdozer worked against itself. <laughs> All right. So he is stuck in there. He could not escape. He had already welded himself inside. And at this point, Marv uh, took a small caliber pistol and put it against the roof of his mouth and pulled the trigger and killed himself. Actually, when I read it later, it, ended up, it was a 357 Magnum. Oh, I'm sorry. Large caliber <laughs> pistol. Large caliber, very high-powered pistol. Yeah, he was not yeah. fucking... He was, he was not taking chances. It doesn't say the documentary, but I looked at it further and yeah, it's a 357 Magnum. Oh, it looked so small in the... in yeah, the uh, reenactment. Yeah, the reenactment, it looked like he just, it was looking like nine mil or something like that. Either way, I mean, tomato, tomato, it doesn't really matter. You fire a high-powered pistol up against the roof of your mouth, you're going to get the same results. All right, so the only person that was killed during this entire rampage, which leveled how many buildings was it? It was like... It was a few. It was like at least at least 10 buildings. Mm-hmm. The only person that was killed during all this was Marv himself. He took his own life 
Well, which is what is crazy is they weren't even sure, like, because they had heard the gunshot. But they, they didn't he, know he was dead. Yeah, he, they were... he shot himself like pretty much right after he got stuck. He couldn't move. He shot himself. But they yeah. didn't know that. So they sent the documentary. They called in area SWAT teams and they tried blowing holes into the side of, of, of you know, the bulldozer three different times with like a lot of fucking explosive. I think they said the work. second time, the second said, time, they if, said he like, wasn't... if he wasn't dead, he's dead now. <laughs> like that's how like strong it was, but it didn't, but even the explosives didn't fucking open it. So they actually had to use a cutting torch and they didn't get into it to like four in the morning or something is when they were finally able to get inside and saw that he had shot himself. The sad end to this tale was they carted a killdozer off and uh, basically cut it to pieces and you know, melted everything back down to slag. Mm-hmm. Uh, R.I.P. Killdozer, you were magnificent. Uh, so, my question for UK mm-hmm. after this amazing tale, mm-hmm. you know, where from one perspective it's one man standing against a corrupt city government that is trying to bring him down, mm-hmm. and from another perspective, it's a crazy paranoid guy who's just refusing to play by the rules. Who who do you think were you, I mean do you do you think that Marv was was actually being pro, like persecuted and pushed against here or do you uh, think he, he was just paranoid? I think both things are true. So what, what I don't understand is some of the discrepancy, right? So like you said at the auction, you know, he Marv claims at the auction uh Cody came up and ripped him a new one. Yeah, he claims that Cody came up and screamed at him. Cody says that didn't happen. Ron Thompson, that didn't happen. Ron Thompson says that Cody wasn't even involved in anything there. He was not bankrolling Cody for anything that he wasn't even, that Cody was just there to, you know, hang out with him, I guess, essentially. Um, you know, as far as like the, the building, they, they said that they didn't, they weren't doing anything differently than they would do for anything else with him. The guy who ended up buying the property from Marv ended up putting, hooking it up to the sewer, like within 24 hours. Yeah. So like it wasn't like, and, and, Speaking of that, you know, Marv claimed that Cody wouldn't give him the easement. Cody, Cody said that yeah. he offered him the easement for like just no problem. And then Cody said that he even offered to buy the property from Marv. Like first time, I think Marv said all in, he was like $55,000 for the property. Cody offered him like $350,000 and he accepted it. And then he, and then he reneged and said, actually, I want four seventy-five. dollars Cody said, okay, I'll pay you that. And then he, then he denied and it wouldn't take it, take that either. So it seemed like. You know, then, like you said, then Marv's opinion of all these people are they're all assholes now to get him and they're plotting against him. It's a big conspiracy. And then they're all like, oh, no, we're all friends. Everything's fine. We like Marv. Marv was a good guy. We just, he had a problem with us. We don't know what. So I think that both things are true. I think that Marv was crazy and was looking for signs of things that probably weren't really there. Like, you know, he mentions when he lost everything, one of his quotes here I wrote down is after he lost everything and the concrete plant was going to get built next to his, his business. He said they wanted me just to deal with it, just to deal with the dust and the snickering. Because he yeah. claimed like they'd snicker at him when they passed him in the post office and shit. It's like classic paranoid, you know, delusions. But at the same time, yeah, it's a small, I mean, listen, we're it's from a small, small town. town. Yeah. You know what small towns are like. There's a good old boy club for sure. It's all about who you know and who's who's whose hands got whose hand in whose pocket and all that bullshit. So I think both things are true. I think they're probably they were being an asshole to him. They probably were kind of plotting against him in a, in a sense, in a way. And I don't know if the newspaper was involved and this commission was involved. So, I mean, in all these situations of the conspiracies, I mean, humans are humans. Like, 
people yeah. can't keep secrets. He would have heard more concrete evidence than just Snickers and shit, you know. So I, I don't know. I, I think it's, I think he was mentally ill, and I also think that they were probably being jerks to him. That's what I. Yeah, think. I I would tend to agree with that. Uh, I am a firm supporter in a gray area. Uh, there's never it's never black and white in any situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Kay says, we've both come from a small town. And there are families in the area that, you know, Kay, I'm sure you know as well as I do, they get preferential treatment in certain situations. Oh, yeah. There are people that are connected. And yeah. There's just, there are, there's just different rules. You know, it's different there are, rules. Yeah. There are, there are names in the area that definitely get away with stuff or get to do stuff that we, as people with no, no names, would get away with that's mm-hmm. just that's just the way it is but that's going to be true in almost any community yeah. in almost any country yeah. i mean and yeah and then i'm not building I, I i can't weld so that's that's a big one right there that's a big i i can't i can't weld a killdozer all right <laughs> i've got a t- i've also only have a tiny lawnmower and i think if i armored that up people are just gonna laugh at me i don't think it's gonna do me much good no no i don't think it'd go very far yeah and those tires i'm not replacing tires again it's not gonna happen which I would have to do for Killdozer 2, <laughs> 2.0. Uh, but yeah, Killdozer so I, many. yeah. So I, I think as well, like, obviously, I mean, it's not even, I think, all right. Marv obviously had some issues. <laughs> okay. Well, but listen though, but there's a lot of people that would say that he was um, a Patriot. He was, that's what he thought he was. I was a Patriot. There are people who would th- think that he was justified. Cause there are people who feel like, they're being persecuted against and they're not getting a fair shake and they want to do something. And some people do like even crazier things. They go shoot places up and bomb things and set things on fire and shit. So it's like, you know, I'll, I'll commend him for taking a, it wasn't a nonviolent, but a less violent, you know, I mean route. He did just ultimately do a bunch of property damage, which again, I'm not condoning, but in the grants in the spectrum, what he did was at least it was Marv. I yeah i mean <laughs> mar listen guys marv got his point across he had been fucked with and he was not amused all mm-hmm. right neither was killdozer who i'm counting as a completely separate entity at this point all right this thing was obviously built for for destruction only but yeah i think uh you know i i applaud him for not simply going to a town council meeting and shooting him a bunch of people or Doing something crazy like that, I mean, so I would argue that spending a year and a half living in a bunker, building a tank that you use to, to destroy half a town is also, you know, a little excessive, but it is what it is, guys. So, yeah, that's the story of Tread. Uh, what, what did you think, uh, Beer System, how, how would you rate it? I mean, I'd watch it again. I don't I don't know that I need any beers watched again to be honest because it yeah. is very entertaining. Yeah, it's um guys, very, it's it's I construction mean, equipment fighting other construction equipment. Yeah, guys. I mean it shows like the actual video, it shows the actual tank. I mean, it shows it's his words, like it's uh yeah, it's I mean it, it's it is, compelling, it's, it's compelling. compelling, you know. So I wish they would have there's a couple things I wish they would have touched base on uh that. So the damage, I just real quick here. So the damage estimate was seven million dollars. Is how much they they believed, um, or how much the damage the total came to what he what he caused. And the other thing that they didn't cover, which I wish they kind of would have, is at one point 
as this is alleged, that the governor of Colorado at the time, Governor Bill Owens, considered authorizing the National Guard, the Colorado National Guard, to use either an Apache attack helicopter equipped with Hellfire missiles or a two-man fire team equipped with a Javelin anti-tank missile to take out the bulldozer. <laughs> Listen, that, that would fucking do it. All right, I can tell you either way, <laughs> Killdozer, I know Killdozer don't give a fuck, but an Apache helicopter with Hellfire missiles... That's gonna that's gonna cause a bad day. Yeah, and apparently they 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 thought about it, but then they stopped as soon as he got word got that he was stuck. But then, of course, the governor's office denied all this. But according to some state troopers, they said that no, that that was part of a plan, <laughs> <laughs> and they're just worried about collateral damage from a missile strike in Granby, yeah, Colorado. No shit, no shit. <laughs> but listen, like you know, like as his friends kind of pointed out, like in the documentary, you know, he didn't. And I guess some some supporters, some people who would like think he's a patriot. You know, he didn't hurt anybody. You know, he purosely chose targets. Like he was very deliberate on his targets. Um, he was I a slow, like the... slow moving vehicle. Now ramming cops and shooting at them. That's not nice. And then the whole like propane thing. Um, you know, there was like a retirement home not too far away from like retirement community, like right behind that propane plant. And we're we're not talking like a tiny like like little. This isn't a uh, this, this isn't a, a gas station, guys. Yeah, this so. is the like an entire like a huge industrial size like rows of propane tanks. I think they said had he successfully exploded one of those tanks, it would have leveled like a half mile radius around that propane place. Yeah, so that would have been had, the like, end of a, a high casualty event, and he was clearly trying to do that. I think he ended, they said he ended up, he did shoot. He was able to penetrate a transformer at the at the propane place, but he wasn't able to. to penetrate any of the tanks which thank god because that would have been a yeah that, story this, but this story would have been a lot less funny if that happened. yeah 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 so yeah i mean uh, listen it's a good documentary i'd watch it again yeah i mean it wouldn't take me any beers either i i genuinely enjoyed it i actually called up our, our friend t today and uh told him that he should he should sit down and watch this documentary because it is fucking amazing oh yeah it's worth a watch I and mean, i definitely give it a recommend for sure and so it's, it's an hour and a half, hour and 20 something minutes. Goes yeah, by real it's quick. Just, it's super entertaining. I mean, yeah, it's awesome. It's just watching a guy slowly lose his marbles <laughs> and then destroying a town. So, yeah, uh, that's Tread. Uh, I, I know it's a little confusing with all the names and stuff, but uh, I'd sit down and watch it. It was very enjoyable. Uh, like I said, it, the little kid in me was just has never has rarely been happier than watching construction equipment fight construction equipment and yeah so that's tread i i get, i recommend to everybody give it a watch mm-hmm. so i'm uh i'm matt i'm special k but make first sure you, yeah, oh i'm saying make sure you subscribe rate and review our episodes tell your friends tell your family tell your coworkers. you know just leave notes around town tell people listen to us we need mm-hmm. uh we need some love so Anyway, as I was saying, I'm Matt. I'm Special K. And we're out. Later. Later.